the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 528 for Sunday, November 16th, 2014. folks and welcome to the mac observers mac geek gab the show where you send in all kinds of stuff questions cool stuff found tips we pile up the cool stuff found for the next show we'll do we answer your questions we share your tips we share some things we've found and all together we like to learn lots of new things about the mac and you know other uh apple products our sponsors for this show include bare bones at uh, barebones dot or barebones software at barebones.com. We'll talk about the new BB edit 11 during this show. We will also talk about uh, our second sponsor for this show, which is DigiDNA with iMazing, uh, the brand new version of what used to be called DiscAid with a uh, 20% off with the coupon code love. Oh, sorry. 20% off with the coupon code MGG. So we'll talk about that later in the show too. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Ron. That's what you think. Well, you know what I think, Dave? Everything around me is breaking. Everything's breaking. Everything's broken. Something else just broke, but I'm going to fix it. What broke? I'm going to tell you what broke or is, is in the process of, of malfunctioning. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, I'm a TiVo type of guy. You're a TiVo type of guy. Yeah. So, you know, I'm sitting watching this one show i don't know i think it was grim or something like that and so i get to a certain point and the tivo reboots and i've had that happen like i can count the number of times that i've yeah. seen it reboot it happens uh, yeah not when it's doing a software update which it, it's supposed to mm. but um no just a surprise yeah reboot. It right. just rebooted got the four lights on the front all that stuff and i'm like well that's kind of annoying eh, you know maybe it's just one of those things right so get to the same spot you know it didn't quite remember where it was so you know got to the same spot in the show it rebooted again okay it's reproducible now it's always a good thing when you're trying to diagnose problems here but then i'm like uh, you know what i've heard from people that this this could be the sign of a uh, failing hard drive yes which kind of shocks me because i just replaced the hard drive in this thing two years ago the prior hard drive lasted for seven years and is still in my drobo Right, right. And, <laughs> and to be gig. to be fair, Drobos are really picky about drives. If there was anything wrong with that drive in your Drobo, you would know about it because it'd have a red light and you'd have to take the drive out. So that drive's still going. No question about it. Yeah, but I think this other drive, although it, it was the you know same brand, a uh, Western Digital five yeah. uh, you know uh, desktop drive. Yeah, apparently it's on its way out because there is a way for you to boot into, uh, uh, and they they call these Kickstart codes. There is a way to reboot your uh, TiVo. Yep. Um, have a short article here and and uh, do various tests. So I did the one. So uh, and they call it a what do they got Kickstart codes. Okay. So anyways, I launched code. Uh, so I entered the secret mode here and we'll, we'll post an article how to do this. And then I ran uh, code 54 hard drive test and lets you run smart tests. Okay. And boy, oh boy, it came up and it said fail seven. <laughs> yeah. Nah. Any, any level yeah. of fail bad. That's right. Yeah. So this drive is on the way out. So probably what was happening, the reason it was rebooting is that it was having multiple read failures and, and it's just like, ah, I give up. I'm going to reboot. Yeah. 
So, um, so anyways, now fortunately the drive I bought has a two year warranty, uh, and it's within the warranty. So I'm going to do a swap with WD, but in the meantime, Dave, I thought I'd buy a new toy and it's about time and it's always good to buy new toys. So, so the new toy that I bought, Dave, um, so we talked about this before, but they've upgraded it and I can take advantage of this. So a newer has this, uh, you know, USB, uh, SATA, uh, whatever they call it. The, the USB uh, the universal drive adapter. Correct. And, yeah. But now it's USB three. And Correct. actually I'm surprised it's only 25 bucks. I know. So I decided, well, you know, I might as well get this one. Although I have a couple of the USB two ones, um, just, just to get the newer one. So what this is, USB three. what this is folks is it is effectively an external hard drive case without the case. It's the cable you would need. It is, uh, power if you need it for that particular drive but also adapter or interfaces for every type of drive you could possibly imagine uh and and it makes it really simple to connect up uh any kind of drive you might need to connect to your mac via usb and obviously the new one supports usb3 it's good right and then they have these um tools that you can run uh oddly enough under windows xp okay <laughs> that yeah. will deal with the wacky format that the uh, drive uses so you know i'm gonna yeah wait so the, i'm probably gonna make the backup now so i'm gonna make the backup of the contents now and then now you're talking about an older tivo not a, a non-premiere or later tivo right because correct. the premiere when i found that they have changed things so they used to use this kind of proprietary format on the the series three and i think prior but then I think as you found, because we're helping our friend Brian with this, that the, the yeah. newer TiVos do something different where you don't want to use this, this older. Yeah. Um, there's just a new way of doing it. Yeah. 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 Huh. But, but Hey, at least one new toy. And I'm going to tell you about a new, uh, another new toy I ordered based on a question that a listener asked, but uh, okay. Yeah. So, um, Hey, these things happen, but I'm surprised Dave, because it's, it's, it's failing within the warranty period, whereas the other drive was going gangbusters again for seven years and it's still running. <laughs> um, I, you know, I'm not. And I got a blue drive, which is supposed to be a desktop drive. That's your I problem. I think so. Yeah, totally. Yeah, because it's running all the time. They don't make these drives well anymore. And I mean, I don't I don't necessarily mean to single out WD. In fact, WD seems to be doing fairly well. But in general, hard drives are not made uh, like they used to be made, uh, it, especially the the desktop type drives. If you're running a drive 24-7, which you are in your NAS units, in your in anything that acts as a, an always on kind of server device. And the TiVo would certainly be one of those. You don't want to be running the the green drives or the blue, you know, the, the desktop drives. You want to be running the uh, the server, the, the drives built to just run all the time. They've got extra fans in them and stuff, and it it's huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes me sad because the drive that I got is is of the same class, or so I thought, as oh. the one that was originally in there. Which the, the the one that was in there, I think, was also what you could call a desktop. Yeah, but that has know, changed over the years. Right? I mean, that like what what qualifies as a desktop drive? That bar has been lowered, I think. So. Yeah, well, hey, yep. I caught it in a warranty. Gonna, yep. you know, doing the, you know, advance uh, swap thingy with them, right? Um, right. Which they're very good about that. So uh, that's good. All right. So if your TiVo reboots, the drive's dying. That's yeah. A tip for you. Yeah. And it's not going to tell you. You know, that was the thing. I, I, I thought it would have told me. Oh yeah, you know, there, there's something up with that drive in here, rather than just rebooting. 
You know, I have a feeling my TiVo days are are numbered. I mean, every TiVo, because of some problems we had uh, with them and actually helped them troubleshoot some serious problems they had over the uh, two summers ago, maybe uh, they upgraded all of our TiVos to lifetime service. Um, hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was we paid we paid some nominal fee, but it was, you know, now all of our TiVos are lifetime, but it's lifetime of the unit, which, as you're pointing out, John, you can extend by replacing the hard drive right so we have service on our tvs that we don't pay for um well actually one of them we paid to get the lifetime service the other two we don't so we're we have no incentive to to move away from tivo until these units actually die um and it may be a long time because all that's going to die in them is hard drives and that's easy to deal with but um but i i feel like and i may you know the romeo may may change my my mind on this uh, at some point but i feel like I've heard a lot of good things about the Comcast. Uh, what is it? The X one platform that, that many TiVo fans are saying they finally gotten Comcast finally got it right. So, uh, so it's, I will certainly consider oh, yes. that when we're moving into, when, when we have to decide, I've, you know, what to do next. I've seen that commentary from yeah. more than one person. And mm-hmm. they also kind of shook their fist at TiVo because they said, you know what? I wanted to stick with TiVo, but uh, only until the very end, you know, when they said, oh, well, you know, we'll extend your lifetime warranty yeah. or, or your lifetime service. Yeah. Um, but it was too late for, for, for this person. So they went with the, yeah, the X one, I guess they call it. Which, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I get is that it's pretty nice. It's, it, yeah. it's not quite a TiVo, but it's close enough where <laughs> right. they made, they made the leap. Right. All right. Larry uh, wrote in over on Google plus. He asked, does anyone know the secret to get Siri to spell? Uh, with punctuation marks and commands. For instance, if um, dot placement gets dot placement or if uh, line, you'll get a new line. How do I tell TiVo? How do I? Oh, now I'm confusing everything. This is going to be one of those shows, folks. How do I get Siri to understand punctuation? First of all, Siri is not going to deal with punctuation unless you're in dictation mode. Right. So you Siri will drop into dictation mode. If I, for example, say text John Braun, whatever I say after that, Siri will take as dictation. And it's important to note the difference between Siri, which is interpreting and acting upon commands and dictation mode, which actually can be invoked without Siri. Right. When the keyboard's up, you can hit the little uh, microphone on the on the default Apple keyboard anyway. And and get into dictation mode where it's just trying to dictate whatever you are trying to uh, transcribe, whatever you dictate. So in dictation mode, I have good luck with, in fact, I use it constantly. So I would say, you know, uh, text John F. Braun, do you mind if we move the show back a half hour tomorrow? Question mark. Uh, I need to take my daughter to work period. And, and that works. That kind of thing works brilliantly. Um, so that's, uh, that's how you do it in in uh in dictation mode again which is different from siri uh and it works on the mac too so so have you used that john you use dictation mode in ios okay i use it when i drive constantly because my car will play back text messages which is great uh i have no incentive to look at my phone uh which is a good thing because you shouldn't be looking at your phone while you're driving. And then if I, if I want to reply, I just, I just do dictation, but I do it inside of Siri. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll issue the command and then, and then dictate right away. So. 
Yeah, the only time I dictate is to goof with Siri. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, I find it really handy. Uh, you know, especially like I said, while driving, you know, there's all kinds of things that um, that one can do. It's pretty good. All right, John, you want to take us to Andy? Why not? So Andy writes, hi, guys, listener from across the pond, uh, which is also called the UK here with a mail problem. It's been happening since Yosemite upgrade. To cut a long story short, I put up with a lot of problems until I listened to last week's podcast where you discuss some issues with outgoing SMTP servers and other email issues. I had only email accounts and was using numerous outgoing SMTP settings from older accounts, uh, etc. <laughs> so he, uh, he cleaned up his act. Uh, he said, so I use all IMAP type accounts and he dove straight in, deleted all the existing accounts and um, went into the outgoing SMTP list. Uh, so he uses Gmail, MS Exchange, and Mobile Me, now called iCloud, of course. Um, so setting these three accounts, it was easy and tidied a few things up, but left me with a couple of questions. Question one, in my Mobile Me iCloud account, I generally only use um, one specific address. And then he goes on to mention, uh, however, what he's seeing, though, um, in a lot of cases when he tries to send, is uh, he'll get the whole ball of wax there in that uh you know throughout the years uh apple has gone through me.com icloud.com uh mac.com and i guess those could all be potential uh domains that your email is under right if you got your account when it was dot mac you can use all of those uh if you got it when it was mobile me you can use me and newer and if you create the account today you can only get email at icloud.com which explains why I'm seeing not quite what he's seeing. Yes. So he kind of got in in the middle of it all. Okay. Or I yep. got in because I, I see, yeah, lots. Mm-hmm. So that's question one. Maybe I should answer question one. <laughs> or no, I'll go to question two. Okay. Uh, question two, regardless of whether this can be solved, I also have another question. I want MS Exchange email account to be set as the default when sending a message, but for the life of me, I cannot figure out how to do this. Oh. Uh-huh. Then he has cool stuff out. Which we'll save for the next show. Right, right, right. So, um, I don't know. I don't don't think he has any, I don't think I have an answer that he's going to like, or maybe you do, but regarding the first question, Dave, I actually see, so as he said, when he tries to send, he will see multiple. He'll see, uh, so he says he sees dot me and dot iCloud. I actually see all three of them, Dave. Because as you pointed out, I, uh, you and I both got in uh, when the yeah we started in the with, early days yeah right. So actually, when I add I, I I see all of the addresses dot me dot mac and dot icloud. Um, and as you pointed out, and I pointed out to him, yeah, uh, they'll preserve as far back as you uh, join the party. Um, but you can change that. You can you can edit all of that if you want, right? I mean, if it so go ahead and finish, but I, I might have some stuff to clarify here unless you want to hand it to me now. Well, I my reflection is I don't know if you register. If when you set up OS 10, you, you activate iCloud and activate yeah. mail. Yeah, I do not believe you can change the addresses that it can potentially send from. Yeah, all right. I'll take this. So you can. 
you go into uh, mail preferences accounts, right? And, and this is where you can edit all kinds of things. And each type of account is a little bit different. Um, but if you go to iCloud, you'll see the account type is iCloud. The description is whatever you've called it, but by default is also iCloud. And then you'll see alias and you'll see a drop down there and uh, you'll see all of your addresses there and you can go edit aliases and uh, edit aliases actually brings you online where you can edit those aliases and, and, uh, and change them around if you, uh, if you so desire, or you can choose custom and pick only one address that it will show in the list. And then that's that. I think that one address will work the same way that it does for other email accounts. So if you choose custom there or you have a Gmail or standard IMAP account um, in the email address field, it will show you your email address, but it's editable. If at the end of your email address, you put a comma and a space, you can put another email address and then a comma and a space and another email address. And all of these will appear in the list now when you go to create new mail. Um, and, and so that's, that's how you edit the addresses. So I think <clears throat> if I'm understanding Andy correctly, you want to go to iCloud in the mail preferences accounts, change it to custom, and then set your email address to just be your at iCloud.com and leave it alone. That should work for you. Then if you want to make your exchange default, um, you go to, where is it? Oh, where is that, John? I thought it was in composing. Oh, it is. Yeah. Uh, so you go to mail preferences, composing about halfway down the screen is send new messages from, and you get to pick, um, your, your, the, the mailbox and address that you want to send from by default. And that, that should work. That should do it. I think mail's crazy. I'm going to have to try that because I, I just went where you said I should go. Yeah. And when I'm creating an email, I still see Mac.com, me.com and iCloud.com as the, uh, the three places that uh, it does default. Yep. All right. So if, he, if he's talking about defaulting, then I think what you said is correct, but I okay. don't think you can prevent uh, those from being listed. If you, if you uh, register through iCloud, because it still shows them. Even if you go to alias and choose custom, uh, right? Yeah, so, so mail preferences, preferences account alias. And right now, so I have my Mac.com chosen. So right. But, custom, but I'm yeah. Go to custom and then. Yeah. All right. Only, so now it's custom and I just have my Mac.com address. Great. So let's, um, you got to close this window so that it makes you save it. Right. Yeah. So we'll close this. Did it offer we'll to save mail for good measure? Okay. No, I, I that's didn't weird. Really, uh, save it should it should offer you to save. Yeah, it still lists the three of them. Hmm. Is custom listed in preferences? Is custom chosen, or is that not sticking? Yeah, it's not sticking. Okay, I did say custom. Change to, to a, one of your it. other mail accounts because that usually is enough to trigger a save. Yeah, I choose custom. I go to another email account. It does not prompt me to save. So it doesn't seem to be taking hold. Uh, change the email address. That will prompt it 
to save. Yeah, but I don't want to change it. I, I know, <laughs> but for the sake of what we're talking about here, you, you know what I mean? I see. Yeah. Let's see. Let's do that. Did it ask you to save? Live action. All right. Yeah. Now it says, okay. Now it says, would you like to save? I'm curious if it sticks with custom though, because on mine, it doesn't. It, it, uh, no, mine doesn't either. It yeah. Did. Okay. It shows one of the addresses checked here. So here's the other way to do it is, uh, well, I think I suggest, go ahead. What I suggested to him. I don't know. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I suggest that if you just want to stick with one of those addresses, you could manually set up a uh, IMAP account. Yeah. You need to be careful doing that. Um, you need to look in iCloud. And this is true of calendars, too. And it's, it's really wonky. iCloud has a bunch of different server farms. OK. And every mail account and every calendar account is not on the same server. So, for example, in mind, when I'm looking at iCloud IMAP, right, which is this weird setup thing, it's not a manual iCloud setup or a manual IMAP setup. My incoming mail server is set to p01-imap.mail.me.com. Ooh, yeah. I'm on p02. Exactly. And that could change, and it may have no, it changed. Won't, from- it won't change, but it will be different from account to account. Your account will never be moved to a different uh-huh. server, um, but... They just keep adding them. So I got my account before you maybe. And so I'm on number one and then you got it and you're on number two, but somebody new might be on PO six and it's fine. It doesn't matter which one you're on, except if you're going to set up a manual connection, you've got to look here first and figure out what your address is, or you've got to do trial and error. Um, So you're in, yeah, you want to match the incoming mail server and username uh, to whatever iCloud picks for you. Cause somehow iCloud has a way of determining which server you're going to be on. Um, mm-hmm. So there you go. Some, hopefully that helps. It's convoluted though. I don't think we, I don't think that's a real answer for Andy, but it, it is the answer that exists. Interesting. Yes. Yeah. And then I think he also mentioned, and as far as I know, this, this is a bug, but uh, on occasion, and he sent us a screenshot when he tried to edit his SMTP list on occasion, he would see it empty. And that ain't right, Dave. And I've seen that happen, too. It's a display bug. I'm like, Mm. wait a second. I know I have them. Now, oddly enough, um, you know, this is the weird thing about iCloud as well. iCloud will not appear in that SMTP list if you set up iCloud as you should. Um, You get a choice pre-populated in in the main preferences screen. And it basically says, yeah, iCloud. You use that for the outgoing server. And it's like, oh, okay. So we're doing some funky stuff there. So maybe... By diving into the area that you said, the aliases area, he can um, he can make it act a, a bit more like he'd want it to. Yeah, but it doesn't sound. It sounds like it. They the functionality appears to be there to do what you want, but it isn't actually there to do what you want. I do uh, what I want to do, John. Uh, yes. Is I want to talk about our first sponsor, which is DigiDNA. Uh, the makers of iMazing, I-M-A-Z-I-N-G dot com. This formerly was called Discade, uh, but this is a brand new version of uh, of their, they call it their ultimate iPhone manager. And it's true. I use uh, Discade and now iMazing constantly to do all kinds of things. You know, Apple really sandboxes things on the on the iPhone and doesn't let you manipulate 
other than through their default programs, which is usually iTunes, which uh, usually leaves a lot to be desired. If you want to, you know, manage your music manually or uh, sometimes, and this is where amazing uh, is totally amazing uh, is if you, if you, if you uh, wipe your phone, you start from scratch but you have a backup of, of how it was before, you might not want to restore everything from the backup. Well, a lot of times you can dig into the backup with iMazing and put specific things back on your phone. That's pretty cool. Um, I, I really, I, I like that a lot. Uh, they've added two new ways to transfer music. Uh, you can now add music and playlists to any uh, iOS device, your iPhone, your iPad, um, from any Mac or PC no iTunes sync anymore. You can just put music out there. You can take music off. Um, it's awesome. So if you have songs on there that aren't on one of your Macs, you can just copy them right from your iPhone to your Mac. Uh, as I said, they've got a backup browser, which means you get to dig through your backups and see what's there. You can also dig through your phone and see what's there too. Um, this works with both Yosemite and Windows 8.1 uh, and works flawlessly with iOS 8.1 and on the uh, iPhone 6 and obviously you know, all the new iPads and everything. John, I know you've been a, uh, a disc aid and now I amazing user for a while. Do you have a, and, and I know I'm putting you on the spot here. Uh, so if the answer is no, that's okay. Do you have a favorite use case for it? What you, uh, what you like to do with, with I amazing. Uh, the one thing that I like to do with it is to, um, and I found it useful for people that have issues with their photos or the state of their photos on their various eye devices. Yep. And maybe uh, something gets confused at some level where iTunes may may not see uh, or, or image or, or whatever tool you're using to interact with the photos on your iDevice. Uh, sometimes you got to break out the big guns here. And that's where uh, iMazing comes in very handy because it lets you see your photos, but also your camera roll. And uh, you may be able to see things using their tool. I mean, it lets you see everything. I mean, when you look at it, I mean, your apps, camera roll, photos, music, videos, uh everything on your phone there uh you know and even the raw file system which be careful right yeah that's true it's you a do. good learning tool because yeah. it helps you learn how things are set up yeah. on your uh, uh under ios as well uh and i think the other thing of course is that it can you know you, you don't have to be wired is that you can connect wirelessly you know, via wi-fi yeah if you'd like that's to right. That's right. Which is also kind of nice. Yeah. Well, so can iTunes. But, um, but yeah, the number of things that it lets you see that you cannot see with other tools uh, really makes it uh, worthwhile. For and it's not just seeing it. You can manipulate this stuff, uh, which, as John said, you know, be careful. <laughs> but, but it is. That, that's when it gets really helpful. So check them out. Uh, it's at imazing.com. This has been a, uh, a secret weapon of John and I uh, that John and I have used over the years. And I say secret weapon. Uh, sort of tongue in cheek because of course we were happily to, to happy to talk about it and have talked about it before. Um, we have a special coupon for you though. You can save 20% off the price of iMazing by using coupon code MGG. So that's an easy one to remember. Go check it out. iMazing.com coupon code MGG. And we love those guys there. So thank you so much for, uh, for coming on board as a sponsor. We're really happy to have you and, uh, and I'm, I'm stoked to be able to offer this discount to our listeners. So MGG is the coupon code at iMazing.com for you. All right, John, I think it's time to move on to Damien. So that is what we shall do. And I'll get him up here. Yeah, I'm a little, uh, 
I'm a little out of sorts here today. I'm a little, I'm it's crazy, John, you know, we're uh, so there will be no show next week. The next show, Mac geek Up 529, unless something happens this week and we decide to do a show, but the plan is that Mac geek Up 529 will be recorded on uh, Sunday, November 30th. Uh, because I'm going to be away over Thanksgiving with, uh, uh, we're, we're taking a, a, a cruise. The family's taking a cruise going on the, uh, Royal Caribbean Oasis of the seas. And, uh, and hope to have a splendiferous time floating about in the, uh, the warmer waters and weather of the, of the Caribbean and all that stuff. Let's get some family time together too. It should be good, but, uh, we'll be doing that show on, on November 30th. So I got to get packed and everything today, John. It's a little bit nuts. A little bit. Anyway, I think I've got Damien up here for uh, if we're ready to talk about it. He says, you're still with me, right, John? I didn't lose you. Yes. No audio weirdness. Okay, good. Uh, he says, uh, when Mac OS 10.9 came out, I wondered if I should upgrade. Then I remember that I had upgraded the laptop hard drive. Oh, let's see. Da, 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 da. He says, uh, oh, oh, yeah, no, this is actually important. And he says, so I got an external firewire 800 K's for the old drive and use that to upgrade to 10.9. Now I could dual boot into whatever I needed to use 10.9 for current stuff or 10.6 for mostly current stuff and some power PC applications. In the meantime, Apple updated iTunes. The various versions worked on both 10.9 and 10.6 and everything was good. Both iTunes pointed to the same library. Then came 10.10. I deliberated a little. I hadn't used 10.9 very long and I was work and it was working with no problems. But 10.10 is still free, so why not? I upgraded. When using 10.10, iOS 8 and 8.1 came along, I upgraded the appropriate devices and along comes iTunes 12 and 1201. Uh, I upgraded to iTunes 1201 in macOS 10.10. Then I went back to OS 10.6 and started up iTunes 11. It complained that the iTunes library was too new and therefore incompatible. So I selected the newest old iTunes library in the previous library folder. The main question then is, will anything get screwed up with two different iTunes libraries pointing to the same music or media files? Um, so this gets dangerous. Um, it, it, it Here's the thing. Your files are fine. You can have lots of things. Like, for example, I don't know if you do this, John, but I do. You know, I have my iTunes library on my on my disk station and my disk station looks at at the data in there for um, for movies, for music streaming via the Synology apps. Right. So not using iTunes at all. It's the same data. It's fine. It's just a folder full of uh all kinds of songs and, and movie files, depending on what you keep in there and, and apps, which are probably happily ignored by the Synology uh, programs that, that look at it. So in that sense, you're fine, but here's where it gets interesting. If you add a new song from one side, the song will be put into the library folder uh, into the, sorry, into the media folder, but the, reference to that song the the itunes ability to see that song is not based on its availability in the media folder or its presence in the media folder it's based on whether it has been logged in itunes library file which is effectively its table of contents so by having two different copies of itunes on the same mac or on different macs pointing to one media folder 
you will have inconsistencies. If you add a song from one, the other one is not going to know about it. Similarly, if you delete a song from one, the other one's still going to have it in its list, but it's obviously if you try to play it and the song's not there, it's not going to play, but it still will appear in the list. And then you get the exclamation point. It'll yell about it. Any changes you make to playlists, uh, play counts, all of that stuff is stored in the iTunes library. So no, uh, you won't be able to actually, some of it might be stored in the metadata of the file itself, but, uh, but by and large, you know, your, your playlists and all of that stuff are not going to work. So it's a, it's a dangerous path to head down though on this. If you are a hundred percent diligent about managing it, you won't have any problems. Um, but there, there is a piece of software out there called SuperSync at supersync.com. This is interesting. And, uh, it actually is built to sort of sit in the background and look at not only the files that you have out there, but, but your iTunes library file as well. And it does work with iTunes 12 and keep everything in sync. In fact, there's even a version now that runs on all kinds of different uh, network storage devices, including uh, uh, Synology. So you can have a super sync app running in both places and actually keep an iTunes library synced amongst multiple Macs. It, it attempts effectively to do uh, to, to be the Holy grail, the thing that we've been looking for basically since we started doing the show almost 10 years ago. And that is having one iTunes library shared amongst everybody in the house. It's, it's a little bit wonky to manage, or maybe I need to get better with the setup of it. Uh, I just started messing with it maybe a month ago again, when they announced the Synology app. Uh, but that would potentially be the thing that might help you, but maybe not because you're running it under two OSs, so that wouldn't ever be running simultaneously. And I'm not sure how the syncing would work. Uh, you might need a third machine running to, to kind of be the home for the syncing. Cause I think they both need to see each other live at some point in order for super syncs to, to sync back and forth. So I don't recommend it if that's, if that's helpful. How about you, John? It's a mess. Yeah. I, I keep, Actually, I guess I, you, you could say I have two copies, Dave. Maybe three. <laughs> <laughs> Which is it? No. So, so I have one, and then every now and then I'll replicate it. So the thing is, so, so I keep it. Uh, so my main music library, I keep on the Mac Mini running Mavericks. But then okay. every now and then, I will make a copy of that folder, typically verbatim, and just copy it over to the Synology and then use both their iTunes server and their media server, which publishes it as DLNA, so then the uh, the Heos that I have can see it. Yep. Uh, and that seems, to, and, and I don't typically, I haven't added any music to my music library in a while. It's pretty much just old ripped stuff. Every now and then I'll I'll toss something in there. So that's what I do. But yeah, having a, I think I'm with you is, you know, having uh, multiple libraries can. You want to you want to eliminate that situation if you if you can. Yeah, you <laughs> have to actively manage it, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I do the same thing. So I I um I sync to my Synology. I I do it for a lot of reasons, but um you know I one of the big ones is that's where I point Sonos to, so it can see uh, my you know our local music without a Mac needing to to be on. But um I have a I use Data Backup from ProSoft, and I have it run twice a week. I have it run on Wednesday, early Wednesday mornings and early Saturday mornings, I think. And uh, 
and it, it, it goes through and does a differential backup. So anything new, you know, it, it, it puts out there and, uh, it's just a faster process to do it with data backup than it is just to, to make a, a raw copy from the finder. But it, it, you know, does the same thing. Fun. All right. Well, let's move on here. Tom, shall we? Uh-oh. Sure. Uh-oh. Oh, that's why I can't find Tom. Because Tom is over here. Take it away, Tom. I think. Yeah. Go. Hey, Dave, John, and Tyler Pete. Uh, this is Tom from Boston. Uh, I had a couple of things. One, I'm trying to set up a my system for uh, a NAS system. I'm just wondering which do you think would be the better, um, the uh, Trovo or the, um, the Synology? I, I want to use it for movies, uh, music, and and uh, photos. And second, um, you were talking about the FaceTime ringing and you only want it to ring once. Um, I think you said you can do a custom custom ringtone, so maybe if you record a ringtone of a sound you like and then just record dead air for about 30 seconds and load that in, then you'll just get it to ring once. And, you know, after the 30 seconds, it should stop. All right, so uh, here's where you cut me off. And you are cut off. So, yeah, you, you know, I... <laughs> I thought it was obvious when we when we uh, had that segment on FaceTime uh, ringing and custom ringtones and all of that. I thought it was obvious that this exactly what Tom described is what I wanted to do. Have a short little bit of sound followed by a long bit of silence. But since since then, so many of you have emailed in with that exact tip that I figured I was not at all clear that that's what I wanted to do. And so I figured uh, for those folks that didn't think of that on their own, uh, I wanted to share uh, that segment of Tom's comment too. just so now we've got all the same information. I guess sometimes, sometimes I think I said it, John, or I think I inferred it. And, you know, it's just one of those days. As far as NAS drives go, um, y- you know, I, I prefer the Synology stuff for network storage. Um, and I think I've been pretty clear about that over, over the years as to why um, there, there have been different reasons over time. Right now, uh, my biggest, the biggest reason that I like Synology is the depth of their platform, the age of that, that platform, you know, uh, DSM, which is their operating system, if you will, for their network devices has been around a long time. And to my knowledge, any NAS that exists can run the very latest version. Any Synology NAS that exists can run the very latest version of DSM. That's a big deal. You know, if you bought a NAS, you know, three years ago, four years ago, six years ago, you can still get all of the features with, with the caveat of if you're, if your processor in the disk station isn't fast enough, you know, you're not going to be able to transcode video on the fly, right? You know, you're not going to be able to do things like Plex, but that's true. Even if you buy a brand new disc station today, you've got it right. You know, you've got to kind of uh, look at that. But in terms of all the other features and the security stuff and everything like that, um, it, it, it's you can run DSM on every 5.1 on everything. And uh, the amount of apps that are available for it are just it's a huge number. And uh, a lot of them are are cultivated and and many of them are even written by Synology. I mean, they, they have a team there that writes not only apps for the disk stations, 
but apps for iOS and, uh, and, you know, web apps for the Mac so that, you know, things like John, you were talking about your, your DLNA server. You're probably using Synology's own DLNA server that they built in, not some third party one, right? Indeed. Yeah. And I use, uh, I use that sometimes, although uh, DLNA is a little too wonky for, for me, especially with movies, but I use their, their, um, disc state, uh, sorry, audio station and video station. And, and I mentioned note station in the last show with their paired DS audio and DS video and DS note apps. Um, to, and I'll do that. Like we, we got the plane ride to head down to Florida to get on the boat and I'll use the DS video to sync stuff to my phone. So these are all apps that Synology has written, not to mention their ability to load, you know, third party apps and, uh, and all that stuff. And the platform is just robust and mature. So that's the reason that I, these days, prefer Synology um, over Drobo for, for the network stuff that there's just not as many apps available. They're, they're building this platform over there. The hardware is great. Uh, In fact, in in some ways I actually like the, the Drobo hardware better um, in terms of the CPUs that they choose to use and, and that sort of thing. But uh, if you don't have the apps to run it, it, it doesn't matter. So it's, it's one of those things I'm, I'm very actively keeping an eye on because it, it could change, right? You know, it, it, it just takes an investment in, in that. So, um, QNAP is the other one to keep an eye on. They are slowly, but deliberately moving, um, into the consumer space. In fact, they've got some stuff where, uh, you know, with HDMI ports on their, on their NAS units that are really targeted for the living room and some interesting things going on there. So that's another one I'm kind of actively looking at. They're, they're, they're having trouble letting go of some of their enterprise roots in terms of uh, features for the home, but, but they are, it is happening. And like I said, it's happening deliberately. So that's the other one to kind of keep a look at. But if I had to buy, if I had to buy a NAS today, I'd buy uh, a Synology. That doesn't mean that I don't like Trobo though. Um, their direct connect units are fantastic. Um, they've, they've done a, a wonderful job with those. And especially, you know, like that new gen three thing. I mean, it's, it's cheap that we have that coupon code, right? MGG 50 saves you 50 bucks. You get it for 300 bucks, direct attached unit, super fast. Um, the CPU in there manages all the stuff. Uh, it's great. So, you know, so it different, I, Obviously, in Synology and, and QNAP don't even compete there. They don't. They don't even sell direct attach units, um, let alone make ones that that we would recommend. So, Drobo is the way to go, and it's super simple to manage. You just pop new drives in, all that stuff. Does that answer the question? You think, John? Oh, that's part of the answer. I, go. I think I have another. Well, uh, uh, an upcoming question. I think we'll present another lens on this. All right. All right. Cool. Yeah. 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 Take it away. Uh, Scott? Sure. Okay. You caught me drinking tea. <laughs> All right. So Scott has a question, and I had an answer. Or I do have an answer. Here's the question, Dave. Hi, Dave and John. I wonder if you can help me. I'm after a cloning solution that'll make a bootable clone of my hard disk. However, Unlike SuperDuper and Carbon Copy Cloner, which rely on a schedule, I want a piece of software that just runs continuously in the background syncing my drives. If it helps, I'm after something similar to Macrium Reflect, but that's only for Windows. Surely there's a Mac equivalent. No. 
Well, you call so it there me, isn't a magic Shirley, equivalent. or <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> couldn't resist. All right, so so I thought about this question for for a little while, Dave. Um, maybe I should have thought about it longer, but you know what? What Scott wants to do here sounds suspiciously like uh, one of the features of Raid. Oh, interesting. Right? So that was my spit. So yeah, so I must have had a lot of right or something. So. It, I came up with this offbeat solution, and the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, why couldn't you do this? So I said, Scott, you know what? A RAID solution can do what you need. There's one program, and the price is right, that lets you create what's known as a RAID 1 set, also known as a mirrored RAID set. So in a, in, it, instead of cloning constantly, it's actually keeping two copies of your data 100% of the time bonded together. That is what RAID 1 is. And you could take a drive out of that, and either one of them would boot your system, presuming that prior to taking one out, that the set could boot your system, right? I mean, it's it's not like that magic thing. That was my thought, and I think that's a pretty clever approach to this problem. I like that. Well, it's it's totally... So actually, so, so disutility... And we'll link to this here. So Disutility actually has, and I'm going to link to the support article, it describes the various flavors of RAID that it can do. And I'll call it software RAID. Because you are doing it through software. So you do it through Disutility. Right. And you... Now, here's the thing that made... Now, there's also another solution, Dave. And, and I looked at the trial of this as well. Um, there's something called Soft RAID, which has been out forever, or at least as far back as I can remember, which is a commercial product that will also let you do software raid uh and they have a trial if, if you'd like to use that for um why would i want to use well. that as opposed to disk utilities raid uh, i mean i'm just curious there's got to be a reason right they they sell this i think they have a richer ui and, and okay. more analysis and other tools here uh, i mean you got to get something for your money right yeah well that's that's yeah yeah exactly uh, I mean, there's a 30 day trial and you can see if it's worth the, you know, so you can see if it's worth it. I actually am running the, uh, you know, 30 day trial right now. Okay. Uh, now it's a little, uh, okay. So it's 179. So you may want to uh, consider if what they can do for you is, is uh, worth it. But yeah, disk utility is very bare bones. I mean, you basically yeah, okay. just get three choices uh, and that's really about it. I think uh software aid goes beyond that. They do monitoring and, and uh, you know, proactive monitoring and, and uh, things like that. So you may want to check them out too. Okay, yeah, that's so I suggested that. that. Yeah, and then I got a fish shake back. Well, no, I didn't get a fish shake, but um. <laughs> so Scott replied and said, "Well, that doesn't work because my Mac hard drive already has data on it. Adding to a RAID set would wipe it. Um, yeah, creating a RAID set typically wipes everything out. Um, and even if I did manage that, no way I would want to get into a RAID set with an external USB two disc. Okay, good point. No, it, you. you can." I mean, it, it, it's doable, but your best bet is to have two drives. They're going to need to be the same size, right? Or, or if one is larger, you're going to be ignoring the, the delta in capacity between the two, right? But mm-hmm. um, it's better to have two drives of the two exact, you know, two, two drives that are not just data clones, but hardware clones of each other uh, so that their speed is the same. And it's even better to put them in an enclosure that is built to do software rate. 
Uh, and I think, you know, like OWC sells, sells enclosures. I mean, a lot of people sell those, those types of enclosures and that, that can be a helpful thing. Yes. And I'm going to tell you about one of them. Dave. Oh, good. Yeah, go. <laughs> well, first, um, you know, I fiddled around a bit more with disc utilities, uh, raid creation. Yep. And you know, I spoke too soon because I said, you know what? It looks to me like this utility will allow you to do this at the partition level and not the drive level. And no. in fact, it, it lets you, well, it misleads you. Okay. It, it lied to me. Okay. And okay. that I was able to take, so I had an external hard drive that I was willing to take one for the team here. Sure. I basically set it up into two equal partitions, uh, ran this utility, uh, said I wanted to make a mirrored RAID set. And it's like, okay, drag the partitions or the uh, disks over uh, that you want to, you know, glom together. And I'm like, yeah. okay, great. And it says, yep, here you go. You're, you're going to get a 500 gig uh, mirrored RAID set. Click on apply. And it says invalid command. I'm like, oh, dude, you lied to me. Because right. it, 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 up until the very point you try to do this, it gives you the impression that it can do this, but it cannot. So it, it is, in fact, and I think all RAID solutions are, are on a drive level and not a partition level, which makes me sad. Yeah, it would, but that, yeah, that, but that makes think, sense. Yeah. Yeah. But then, um, well, I think technically you could do it at a partition level, but um, it's probably best to do the drive level. Yeah, so, te- you're right. Yeah. Yeah, it should be doable. Yeah. Right. So, um, but then it got me thinking, you know, I do want to do this, Dave. And he does have a good point about USB 2 versus USB 3. And I'm like, you know what? I think I want to try this, Dave, on my, on my own. Now that really? I have a machine that has USB 3. Yeah. And I have tons of two and a half inch drives kicking around. Right. The problem is I, I don't have any enclosures. So I decided similar to getting the USB three enabled, um, you know, disc uh, interface uh, gizmo there. Yeah. From the, newer. The, the universal went, drive you know adapter. That, the, yeah, the name like, of which what? will escape you for another 10 years, but that's okay. I'm yes. here. Yep. Universal drive adapter. Yep. It's good. Like, you know what? I wonder if I can get from the same people. And as it turns out, the answer is yes. I wonder if they have any USB three enclosures because I have a I'm bunch sure. of theirs. I mean, they're, they're bare bones, you know, v- very small, very compact uh, on the order of I think when I got them, you know, you're like 20 bucks. And so I looked and I'm like, I wonder if they've upgraded these for USB three. Well, of course they have way before right. I did. <laughs> right. 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 And so I ordered a couple of these, the OWC Express Black. It's a USB three enclosure. That's all it does. And it has a little LED on it. And it's twenty two dollars and twenty five cents each, Dave. Oh, nice. It doesn't come with the cable, though, but I have a couple of USB 3 cables. But hey, for 20 bucks, I'm like, yeah, man, I'm going USB 3 because I want to try to build my, a RAID set and see uh, and just, just see what it's like. Cool. So, uh, the answer to the prior question, you know, which NAS should I get is maybe, uh, as, as I'm kind of suggesting here, maybe you want to try to build your own. Well, so that's it. There's it, <sighs> NAS, right, is... is um. I'm, ca- I'm careful to not call building your own direct connected storage device a NAS device. I mean, it could no, be right. Right. Because, right, right NAS, you, because it implies network. Right. Ethernet, not direct connect. Yes, not direct right. connect. But, but, uh, but it could be array. A, a disk array. Totally. But, you know, your machine could be sort of a homebrew NAS if you do your own mirroring or rating however, however you want. Right. With some fault tolerance and maybe some striping for speed. And and then you connect it to a, a Mac that is effectively a dedicated server 
So now, you know, how different is that from having a, a all in one NAS box? Well, it might be a lot faster, right? Cause your Mac, you know, Mac mini that you dedicate to this is going to be a faster processor and all that stuff. So, you know, it's close. It's close. I just, there's a, there's an asterisk there, right? So I just always like to, to make that. Yeah, I just think it happens if I create a mirror set and then, yeah. you know, maybe break it. And then uh, because there were options when you build it within disutility, it says, well, hey, you want me to automatically, you know, resync things when one of them goes away? And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah. so see what it's all like. But cool. it couldn't hurt to have a couple of external USB three discs just just to have them. I think it's great. That's really smart, actually. I'm I'm looking for where you bought this. Is it this is the OWC Express Silver? Yeah, hold on. I'm going to put the uh, I think it's 27.99 well, now, right? Oh, well, here's, okay. Here's a new one. Okay. You you're putting it in the uh in the show notes for us. Great. Awesome. Yeah. So, so the USB 3 is yeah, 22 bucks and I guess the USB 2 as you found is yeah, less cuz Right. Right. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, sweet. For 22 bucks and that holds any two and a half inch hard drive. Huh. Mm, makes me think. All right. I need more drives than like I need a hole in the head. But actually, I do need more drives. I need I need more drives to keep. To, I, I keep getting more NAS units to test them, and and uh, I'm running low on on drives. So I need. What I think I need, I I need more full size drives. But yeah, go ahead. Actually, what I think I do need, and I'm sure OWC makes these as well. What I, the thing is, Dave, I have a a pile, literally a pile of two and a half inch yeah. discs. Um, unfortunately the, you know, NAS units that I have here take the larger form factor and I'm almost certain someone makes an adapter so I can put these two and a halves inside the machine that wants the larger drives. All right. Are you like rubbing your hands together right near the mic while you're talking? I was. Okay. That's what it wow. sounded like. All right. Perfect. Good pickup. Yeah. <laughs> now we all heard it. Yeah. Yeah. You'll hear, you'll hear it when yeah, you listen. And I was twirling that. my mustache too. I oh, evil, evil thoughts for Movember. <laughs> that's right yeah what, which kind did you go with the hand handlebar toothbrush style what what, what, did you, what did you what did you choose to do this month uh, the, the usual okay nothing fancy yeah okay all right uh do you want to take us to barry john actually you know what i want to i want to take us first of all to uh to our second sponsor for this show which is bare bones at bare bones uh bare bones software rather at barebones.com they have released a new version of bb edit uh bb edit is up to version 11 now uh, it is still available either from their website again barebones.com or from the mac app store it is for the low price of 50 bucks bb edit you've heard us talk about this before it is a world-class text editor for any kind of text editing. You know, and John, I know you use it to uh, lovingly handcraft the show notes and, and polish them up and put all those timestamps on every week. Um, I, I have great respect for the work you do there because I did half of a show this week and, uh, and it's, uh, it's, 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 it's work that takes love. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's good. Um, you know, I use it to edit PHP code all the time. And it, you know, it's got an FTP client built in so I can, uh, I can publish direct to the website. If it's, we have some code that I, that I edit directly on the site. A lot of it, I can edit right in our Git repository locally here. And it works perfectly with that, uh, all of that good stuff, but they've added new because it's BB edit 11. And so now 
like Cirque du Mac did, BB Edit does, this one goes to 11. They've added syntax, better syntax coloring, uh, tweaking things for today's displays, uh, making things pretty. It doesn't actually change your text at all. It just changes how it appears on the, the screen to you. They have uh, one of the one of my favorite things to do with BB Edit, and I, I wind up doing more often than not, is taking two or taking two versions of a document and comparing them. This happens constantly for me, uh, and my guess is it probably could happen for you too. And BB Edit did a did a great job of this. It would actually create a three windowed view um, where you'd have you know what, the older document, the newer document, and then a changes window. Well, now they've kind of rolled this all into one pane of your main documents view. So you don't wind up having things barfed all over the screen now or taking up the entire screen if you don't want. Um, you just get uh, one window that you can move around together. And that's got it's got your three paned view in it. It's actually a four paned view if you include the sidebar. So that, it's 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 just a more modern way of doing it. And then now, John, they've got this cool thing. Um that they call text extraction. Uh, you can, you've always been able to do multi-file search, right? So if you've got a bunch of files open or just a bunch of files on disk that you point BB edit at, uh, you can search through all of them and find, you know, the files that only contain things. Uh, you can now collect all the search results and it extracts those into a separate new text document. Uh, so this is, this is very cool. Uh, they've got some new editing enhancements and, uh, and they just, you know, keep spiffing it up so that it feels like a, a modern Mac app, even though it's been made, I think, since 1992. I mean, seriously, they've been, you know, they've been doing this a long time. So, uh, but they keep it up to date and they keep it more than up to date. They keep it pushing the envelope. So it's great stuff. Check it out. Uh, BB Edit 11 at barebones.com. And of course, uh, you can find... Um, you can find it on the Mac App Store if you like too. If you buy it on the Mac App Store, I do want to uh, offer this bit of this tidbit. BB Edit has uh, comes with it. It's free command line tools. Meaning, if you're at the terminal and you want to edit a file, sure, you could use VI or Emacs or Pico or, Na or Nano, I guess. Um, but instead of typing, you know, VI space file name, uh, when you inst once you install BB Edit's command line tools, you can type. Uh, BB edit space file name, and it will open the file instead of in the terminal and having to edit inside a, you know, VT 100 emulated window or whatever it is you're editing in BB edit, right? You can use your mouse. You can do whatever you want. Uh, and then when you save it, saves it back to where it came from. Uh, if you get BB edit direct from bare bones, they can sell you a version because there's no restrictions that includes the command line tools with it. If you buy from the Mac app store, you do not get the command line tools because that's not something that can be sold through the Mac app store. But your version that you get from the Mac app store will work with the command line tools. You just need to go to BB edit or to Barebones website and download those command line tools. So uh, I highly recommend you do that, uh, whichever way you you choose to to buy it. So check it out. Barebones.com. And uh, we would like to thank them for being a sponsor, too. All right, John, you want to take us to Barry? Or should we jump to Flores? Uh, I think Barry is quick. Okay, go. <clears throat> so Barry writes, Hi, Dave, John, and Pete. Longtime listener, first-time feedbacker. Nice. Given what we know about the future of Aperture and iPhoto and the coming of photos for OS X sometime next year, do you think it 
it's worth the $79 to get Aperture now and migrate an iPhoto library in preparation for either photos or possibly moving to another tool like Adobe Lightroom. My iPhoto library is some 13,000 images, and I've invested quite a lot of time organizing, tagging, editing, applying faces and locations. It'll be sad to lose all that. I'd be sad, too. Um, as far as whether you should move to Aperture now, what are you, nuts? No. Yeah. <laughs> On this, I believe we uh, agree, my friend. <laughs> well, uh, l- let me give a, a better answer, but, but still a quick one. The thing is, while Aperture does give you more editing tools and offers more powerful workflows, and is what I'm currently using, I wouldn't make the leap right now uh, in light of what you said. I would wait to see what Photos is going to offer you before you make a move. So I, I, I see little reason to, to go to Aperture at this point. And the thing is, right now, the libraries are in a common format. So, so Aperture isn't really buying you in my opinion, it's not really buying you much. You know, stick with your current workflow. However, what you may, may want to do. So he's considering moving to Lightroom. Okay, that's something you can do. The thing is, you can do it now, as far as I can tell, Dave. Oh, yeah. Uh, and they even have, you know, I found on their site here, they have an article. I'm not sure how much of your data will get through, but they actually do have an article telling you how to import your iPhoto library. I suspect a lot of your organization may get lost if you do that. But they do offer a free trial. So try it. And see what, see if you do lose anything. That's actually yeah, a good I idea. Want to lose that, I wouldn't want to lose that stuff either. So there is an opportunity right now to, again, get a free trial of Lightroom. Uh, I haven't actually gone through the motions here. They have a link. It says Lightroom, start your 30-day free trial, and then you got to sign in for an Adobe ID. I'm not sure if it's the standalone or the creative cloud, but they claim to offer a 30 day free trial. Okay. So go for it and, and follow their instructions and see how much of the stuff uh, makes it over for you. Actually, I would like, I know one or two of our listeners have made the, uh, the move here. So I'm curious uh, the experience of people that have moved from either aperture or iPhoto over to Lightroom. How much of any of your uh, metadata, if you will, or organization uh, yeah. is preserved. If you do pull that stuff over. Yeah. Um, I would think, you know, photos, the upcoming photos will preserve nearly everything, um, but it may not have the features you need. So, yeah, I uh, think I think nearly is the right answer there. Um, I my guess is that it's going to lose stuff, right? I mean, it, we've seen it with other Apple apps that as they've kind of, you know, homogenized apps between iOS and, and the Mac, um, things get lost. There, there are sacrifices made. Yeah, uh, the question I get from the uh, peanut gallery here, um, otherwise known as our chat room, which you can uh, always find at www.mackiegab.com slash stream, is do they even sell Aperture? Yes, they still do. Yeah, they do. (laughs) And it still works under Yosemite. I'm still using it. Um, uh, I'm going to wait and see. Maybe maybe I'll forever be running Aperture on my Yosemite machine, and we'll never move to anything else, Dave, because that's yep. just how how I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or yeah, I'll try out photos. No, you'll you'll it's, have it's, to move eventually. Photos. Yeah. No, I don't. Nope. Well, you don't have to update can't your OS me. either, but you know, can't make me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Floris had uh, Floris. You know, I love I love 
the questions you folks ask because it makes us think about things, especially things that we use. He says, uh, I'm in South Africa, and in order to get Netflix, I have to adjust my DNS settings on my Apple TV or on my router. Now, my question is regarding security. Is it safe to alter my DNS settings? Will this enable the host of that DNS server to monitor and log all my web browsing? And are they able to view sensitive details such as credit cards and logon credentials of sites? All right. Mm. So now it's a good question. It, but here's the thing. Here's how yeah. DNS. Here's how DNS works. You uh, type into your web browser and this, this is going to happen in all programs that that need to connect to the Internet. But uh, this is how it happens in your web browser. You go to your web browser, you type in www.macobserver.com. The first thing that happens is your computer does a DNS lookup on www.macobserver.com as a name all by itself. And it translates that into an IP address. Could be IPv4, could be IPv6, doesn't matter. But it translates that to an IPv, IP address by going out and asking whatever DNS server you have configured to translate that address. That address comes back. Your computer says, great, that's www.macobserver.com. Now, uh, even though it still shows you that in the, uh, in the, the, the uh, status bar at the top or the URL bar, really it's connecting via the IP address that it got back from the DNS server. Right. And that's how the computers talk to each other. So normally by default, you're probably going to be set up with the DNS servers hosted by and provided by whoever your internet provider is. Um, but you can use third party ones. Google has one 8.8.8.8. Always handy to remember. Um, open DNS is another favorite, but there's lots of DNS servers. But just to be clear, once you've done your lookup and your computer gets that IP address back, it is finished with the DNS server. It's not, no data passes through it unless the DNS server doesn't deliver the right address back, right? Maybe instead of for, for the, the right address for MacObserver.com, which I don't remember anymore uh, because we changed them and I don't have it memorized yet, but uh, maybe instead of delivering that address, it delivers something else that goes through one of their servers and monitors your traffic. And maybe then they redirect on their end. It would be a lot of work, but then they would be able to get all of your passwords and everything. Now, if, if the site had a security certificate, um, like if you were signing up for premium, we have a security certificate that would then completely mitigate all of that. And you would immediately be told, Oh, wait a minute, you know, you're in the wrong place. Don't enter your credit card here. But, uh, but for just general web browsing and, and even for a lot of things where you're going to enter your password on the web, if it's not secure, you can't be 100% sure that the uh, server you're connecting to is the one you think you're connecting to if you can't trust your DNS server. So it really is like at, at the fulcrum of, of where the Internet could fall apart, right? Um, so it's a, it's a good question. So you really have to trust uh, whatever provider you're using for DNS. Um, and I'll let you decide on your own whether you want to trust Google or not and use their DNS server. I'll let you decide on your own whether you want to trust your ISP. Although if you don't trust your ISP, it doesn't really matter because they control so much more of your pipe that frankly, they would have much easier ways of, of dealing with, with getting at your data. Um, that's probably DNS is not the thing, but you know, open DNS, right? We, I trust them. I use them. Um, but it, you know, it is a, a very 
uh, a very important relationship, right? To uh, well, I'm, now I'm I'm making I'm, I'm making hand gestures, and now things are getting all crazy over here, John. Um, I hit my mic cable or my ear my yeah, earphone I heard cable. Yeah, smacking the yeah. mic around. Yeah, anyway, what, what uh, did it ever do to you? Yeah, you know, um, <laughs> we, we have we have we have a relationship here, John. Um, but uh, you have to have a close relationship with your microphone, don't you? Anyway, not too close. Not too close. Um, anyway, so yeah, you do. You totally need to trust your DNS provider. So yeah, it's a good question. Make sure you're you're setting it to something that. That is going to, you know, it's going to work for you. That's all I got. Right? And I have something to add here, though. I, I'm not aware of anybody using this, Dave. Okay. Or Barbara Scott may be using this. But there are extensions to DNS called domain name, domain name system security extensions. As far as I know, nobody, uh, at least no one in the consumer space is really using them. Okay. So, uh, like a lot of other things on the internet, Dave, um, DNS was not designed to be secure or, or tamper evident, if right. you will. Right. It was designed to be a uh, distributed system. Like SendMail. To do the translation. Um, but people have come up with uh, with extensions to it that'll do things that we talked about before, like digitally signing the responses so you can because it is certainly possible for someone if they're in the right place uh, that sees a DNS request from you to a DNS server to yeah. forge the reply and send you to a bad place. That's possible. Sure. Um, you know, especially in, uh, you know, a lot of these exploits that came up as of late, uh, you know, and probably the biggest risk is if you're on a public Wi-Fi where the you know traffic is typically not, not encrypted anyways, which right. is why you should use a VPN. But um, yeah, there are extensions to DNS, but I, I don't think anybody really uses them. Hmm. That's too bad. <clears throat> All right. One, one last thing uh, before we, I think, Maybe one last thing. Maybe we got time for one more. Uh, probably one last thing. Uh, Mike says, I'm thinking about getting a new cable modem. I have Comcast and I would like to buy my own modem because the uh, X because of the Xfinity hotspot that Comcast is putting in their new modems. This seems like a security issue to me, but I could be wrong. He then goes on to ask what modem we would, we would buy and is the setup process with Comcast um, okay it, providing your new your own modem the setup process is cake with comcast when you provide your own modem if you go to the store you want to buy your own modem or or get it from amazon or whatever once you get it you call them up you're going to read them the mac address and uh and that sort of thing off of it and then you're up and rolling as long as it's a compatible modem which these days by doxis 3 and you're good to go but mike's concern with the xfinity hotspot so this is uh comcast is now putting Wi-Fi routers into their into their cable modems. A lot of cable companies are doing this, right, to uh, to make their users' lives easier. So you don't have to go out and buy a router if you don't want. Uh, you and sometimes you're forced into it, AT and T. Uh, but uh, Comcast is pretty good about this. But they do they they they'll they will provide you with a modem that has a wireless router in it. And then what they do in this modem is they provide a second wireless network that is just called Xfinity. And this is uh, something that allows anyone who is a Comcast customer to connect to the Internet via Wi-Fi at your house. Now, I, I say that very specifically. It's not via your Wi-Fi quite. Uh, it is a separate network. 
It does not count against your bandwidth. It does not allow people access to your home network. It is a separate thing with one exception is that from my testing, it does live on the same channel as the Wi-Fi it provides you. So it is a virtual network, meaning if you've got somebody sitting outside, you know, downloading a ton of data, it probably is going to impact the wireless speeds in your house. Um, I don't know. I don't know if Comcast doing anything to, to mitigate that and maybe deprioritize the, the Xfinity thing. They certainly could. Uh, but you know, if you're in a busy area, well, you're probably dealing with Wi-Fi contention anyway, but, uh, but that, that's what, that's what Comcast does. So they have dealt with the security part of this, but if you're not comfortable with it uh, from a security standpoint, or if you just don't want to risk sharing your Wi-Fi bandwidth, again, not your data, not your access to your network, but just your bandwidth in general, if that's a problem for you, call up Comcast. They will disable the uh, Xfinity hotspot inside your cable modem uh, for you. And, and, and from what I've heard from folks, we don't, we, I just have standard cable modems here. There would be no use of providing an Xfinity hotspot. We're too far off the street and, and all that. But, um, but, uh, from what I've heard from folks, it's, it's not, there is no discussion. You just call up and say, Hey, can you turn this off? And they're like, yeah, no problem. Uh, so it's, it's not that big of a deal. I'm, I'm still a fan of, of probably overpaying and leasing a cable modem from, uh, from my ISP. I, I like the level of service that I get in doing that. Meaning up through my cable modem, it is 100% Comcast responsibility to get me service beyond the cable modem. Obviously I have my own router, which I want and I'll take responsibility for that side of it. But up through the cable modem, it there's some voodoo going on in there. And, uh, and these things are, you know, they burn out once a year anyway for, for us around here, maybe, maybe once every two years, but they're, you know, there's a lot of power coming in through these things. So they're, they're, you know, they're going to burn out. So I, I like to overpay Comcast and just have them hundred percent responsible. So there you go. That's that's my feelings on the matter, John. Any thoughts on this before before we wrap it up? No, they're not really. Uh, from what I understand, Optimo Online is not pulling that sort of thing. Okay, yeah, or at least not with the 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 modem that I have. Right. So I have an Aris, which I think uh, yes, same thing I've got is a Motorola company or was oh, is that right? Company. Uh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. But I think you know some people were were concerned because uh, I think that the yeah the whole thing with that issue is people were like hey you know uh, uh, my internet provider is is putting up a hotspot without telling me right it's like well yeah yeah <laughs> right but, they, but they're not they probably should have told people right oh yeah by the way we're going to extend our you know public Wi-Fi uh, well you know they're using their modem Correct. to do it as long as you understand that you know that they they were partitioning it. So it was effectively like you had two points of presence. You had your cable modem and then the Wi-Fi and and they didn't know about each other or so they claim. I think it's actually kind of a clever thing because I got these optimum Wi-Fi all over the place here. I mean, and and I see more and more of them because I'm sure they're rolling them out in a similar fashion to uh, Xfinity and and all those other guys. Yeah, no, I think it's a good thing. I mean, if I lived somewhere where it could help people, I would happily do it. Um, I, you know, at least initially, I mean, if I saw it causing issues, well, then maybe I'd 
I'd feel differently, but I think it's a great thing. And I, I happily use it when I'm in, you know, like downtown Portsmouth or whatever. There's a ton of them around. I can just walk around and get Wi-Fi all yeah. the time. It's awesome. Yeah. And to me, if anything, the bonus is that if someone connects to the one that your modem is hosting, yep, then you can hop on that baby too and then look at all their traffic and, and wreak havoc. Right? That is true. That, yeah, that that's, it could provide for hours <laughs> of fun and enjoyment. Kind of like we not do that I would here, ever John. Think of, not that I would ever think of logging into a wireless access point and monitoring other people's traffic, Dave, because that, that's unethical. That It is unethical. But it's, it is, is it? fun. You know, it's, I guess, is it unethical to just look at it or is it unethical to do stuff with it, right? Because what you're talking about is no different than having a radio scanner, right? You can listen to anything broadcast over the air. You cannot rebroadcast or share what you hear without breaking the law. Um, right, how different is that from running a kind scanner? Kind of. Well, well, the original, I think the original intent of the Communications Act of 1934 said exactly what you said. You can listen to whatever you want and look at whatever you want, you know, in, the, in a radio sense. Right. But if you're not a party to the conversation, then keep your mouth shut. And also don't then tell. Then I think yeah. they modified right. it a little bit oh, okay. in that they, then they started class. Of, now, I remember following this and it was, you know, um, yes, I, I still remember. It was the whole controversy over listening to uh, uh, cellular Cell, in cell the phone calls. megahertz when, yeah. it w- when it was analog. Yeah. They all of a sudden said, well, no, you can't listen to private phone calls uh, with your scanner. And it's like, well... No, actually, I can. Yeah. Well, yes, I can. If you want it private, that's up to you. That's right. To make private. Yep. You, you can't make radio... It's like saying, you know, I got a megaphone and I'm going to scream something, you know, at the neighborhood. You can't say that's private. Well, no, if, but if you scream it only to your neighbor, you're saying none of my other neighbors are allowed to listen. While I'm screaming at my neighbor, <laughs> like no, they are. In fact, sometimes they're forced to. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's it craziness. Yeah. I still have a scanner that can listen to those. Uh, I, I haven't checked in ages. I think once in a blue moon I'll hear something like that. Uh, yeah, there's before. not much. I, I still have my Pro 43 that uh, that our mutual friend removed from some extra resistors from to uh, keep it from uh, to allow it to to scan through those those ranges. Did I sell that to you? No, no, I bought my own and, and Bob oh, you had your own Bob, mod, but Bob, Bob did all the surface mount stuff and modified it. Yeah. Yeah. I had one of those. I think I sold. You can't find it. Oh, yeah. All right. Feedback at MacGeekUp.com is the address that you can write to to send in your own stuff. And please do. You've got two weeks to send in cool stuff found. I will monitor it up through uh, this this week, maybe the 20th or whatever. And then. I probably won't look at the box until after we do the show, after I get back, uh, because we're getting back, you know, uh, right, basically right before we do the show. So John will monitor it, though. John will find any well, cool Dave, stuff out. Man, I've been in all these shows, man. I got a pant load of stuff. Awesome. Share. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've got some stuff. I wanted to talk about it today. It's some cool things that I I've gotten and tested uh, that I'm really eager to, to talk about, but we'll save it nice. for the next one. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, Dave, I, I think you said feedback at MackieGap.com, which is where people should send cool stuff out along with anything well, else that happens across their mind. I would use feedback at MackieGap.com is what I would do. <laughs> Unless you're a premium supporter. And then you can use premium at MackieGap.com. You can also call 206-666-GEEK. Which, John, is? 4335. And John promises to check Google Plus 
uh, while I'm away. Facebook.com. I'm sorry. Yeah, I told you, my, my head is all messed up. Uh, MacGeekGab.com slash Google Plus is the best way to find that community. But please do join us over there. We're having a blast. It's good stuff. I want to thank Michael Johnston from uh, both the iOS show podcast as well as GetAppler.com. He converts this show and adds all the chapters and links. So thank you so much, Michael. Also, the folks at Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. As we mentioned, uh, the podcast in the market, the podcast, <laughs> I just can't get it together today, John. The words just don't come out right. The sponsors in the podcast marketplace uh, this week are DigiDNA with iAmazing and their coupon code for 20% off, MGG being that code. Barebones uh, at uh, Barebones Software, barebones.com with the new BB at 11. Smile at smilesoftware.com. Gazelle. Squarespace.com slash MGG gets you, uh, and their coupon code MGG gets you 10% off. And of course, Linda, L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash MGG gets you uh, 10 days now, John, not just seven, 10 days free trial, Linda, all through Backbeat Media. John, send them off with some killer advice. Send me off with some killer advice. I'm going to send them off and I'm going to send you off with some killer advice, Dave, because you're going to be on a boat and uh, before you, well, while you're on the boat, I think there's going to be very little chance that you're going to get caught. We gotcha. Made up.